In a world of what are yous, welcome to the place where the answer is always human. My name is Natalie, and you are listening to Some Kind of Brown, a podcast powered by Yellow Jacket Media about mixed and multiracial life, our journeys to find our identities, reconnecting with ourselves and the communities we're a part of, all from a Southern girl who's still trying to figure out things for herself. Welcome to Topics from the People with Soph again. Hello. Sup? <laughs> and me, who's always <laughs> here in your ear. So, Yep. And we are officially partnering with Mixed Present. So we asked you a couple of weeks ago now when we're recording to send in any topics or questions you wanted us to talk about. And we got quite a few. A lot, actually. Yeah. <laughs> So we've split them into these groups to kind of help us make sure we address everything and be a little bit more organized. So this episode you're listening to has the very wonderful name of Y'all Better Stop. (laughs) Y'all Better Stop. (laughs) And this is all the stuff that you wish people would stop. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So (laughs) this first one. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so um, really quickly, um, I want to say thank you to everyone who did submit the topics. Yes. Um, first and foremost, we, again, we got so many, uh, both on her page and on my page, and we tried to group some of them together so we could hit on all of them, but obviously, you know, we didn't want to have a five-hour-long episode. So That's true. <laughs> yes, so again, thank you, and feel free to comment and all of that. Let us know your thoughts. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure some of these things people are going to have some opinions about. Yeah. Or probably some anecdotes on how to relate and all of that, which is what we're looking for at the end of the day, you know? Absolutely. We would love to, I know both of us would love to hear those stories. Mm-hmm. Facts. Facts. Both of our communities are really about, you know, making a community and talking about those things that we have in common, those experiences and thoughts and just things that come up when you're mixed race or in anywhere in that community. Mm-hmm, exactly. So we're going to be doing this for the entire month of March. Hey, bring the rain. <laughs> so get used to hearing Soph. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> I know some of you probably want to hear from Soph all the time, so here's your little gift from me. <laughs> uh, in the words of Amanda Seals, I got this bass in my voice that triggers people, but I think it's a good... A good opposite of yours that's so soothing and so nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. So this first one, not having a government system that is culturally sensitive. So in regards to this, I mean, I think maybe we should talk about the definition of cultural sensitivity first. Okay. First of all, I do want to say the context around this is coming from someone who is living with the nations in Alaska and their particular system having trouble with kids in foster care or any kind of care that teenagers or children would need not being culturally aware. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I think it's that culturally aware is probably a really good term to use as well as culturally sensitive, just mm-hmm. aware of the group you're dealing with and their cultural needs. Like if you know someone is Hindu, you're not going to give them a hamburger. Exactly. I mean, even then, like most recently in New York, they just passed a law that says you can't discriminate against hair type. 
in this day and age, the fact that we have to pass a law like that, again, I think that is something that goes along with this as well. Yeah, I would say so. I don't really like big government. I'm pretty libertarian, Mm -hmm. but I do think it's the government's job to protect people. So I think that a government system needs to understand the cultural needs of the people it's serving. Mm -hmm. And that kind of varies between states, but there are people of all ethnicities everywhere. So yeah. And also it's just respecting and valuing other cultures so that we can reduce cultural barriers between, you know, professionals and patients and, you know, anyone that gets affected by just like any service they receive or working in a certain place or anything like that. I mean, in an ideal world, at least to me, there would be cultural advocates where a government would consult people when they're dealing with certain groups. But for America right now, that's a really far step. <laughs> exactly. And you know what? I think that, that that exact thing of advocates that companies and stuff can turn to, we lovingly refer to that as Jamal the intern. Just knowing like <laughs> someone like someone that you can run something past and be like, is this going to be cool? Because there's a lot of decisions that are made that people are like, hmm, no one ran that by Jamal. And you can tell. Yeah, like, what was that company? Uh, Urban, Urban... Isn't it H&M with the monkey sweatshirt and the little boy? That one is less offensive to me than Urban Urban Outfitters and their salvage, really just savage perfume with Johnny Depp and strange native imagery that they came out with last year oh god yeah yeah nobody ran that by anyone (laughs) yeah and well to be honest i mean i think like it's very similar to like the the little black boy being put in the coolest monkey in the jungle sweatshirt and stuff again it's just not being aware of history and prejudice and just the different experiences that other groups have i mean you can have the intention of not meaning it that way but it doesn't matter if a group has been targeted in the past and associates certain things with certain experiences and certain histories then we have to be aware of that period Oh, absolutely. And I know it can be really frustrating when you're dealing with government, especially if you zoom in really closely and start talking about like government officials when you're getting IDs and stuff like that. Recently, we had a discussion on putting your race on your IDs, which I thought was normal, but is not really outside of Arkansas. Mm -hmm. But I was talking to some people about that, and that was kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, because that doesn't have to do with anything. No. There needs to be some sort of an accountability and a responsibility taken for certain circumstances that people of color find themselves in. For example, people in Flint, Michigan, they had, I mean, we all knew about it, like leaded water for years. And I think just recently people started doing something about it, like just recently. So recent that I haven't heard about it and I am in Michigan, so yep. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, and um, I think the a huge thing is like for there to be such a concentrated group of people of color and you legally cannot stop paying your water bill even if it's leaded water because if you stop paying it, Child Protective Services can take your children away if they're in the house. If you are trying to sell your house so you can move, 
you can't because it's illegal to sell leaded houses with leaded water. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, and I think that that's just, again, another thing of like, well, it's always a certain group of people who have to bear the blunt of these kind of blows. And it's always coming from quote unquote legality. And it just shows us that like re-traumatizes? Yes, but it also just shows that that understanding and that accountability and responsibility and that and an idea of like let's make this an equal opportunity world where we're not targeting certain groups of people. That is just a utopian idea still. And people want to say it's different, but it's really not, especially when we can cite like why are areas like this that are predominantly areas of color still the ones being hurt this way. Well, I think a really good example of it is something that has really bothered me. I appreciate the conversation happening around climate change. However, Greta Thunberg. Turn, Turnberg. Turnberg? Turnberg? I don't we know. All know. <laughs> Greta, Greta the thing. rock star. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I don't want to take any of this away from her, but I will say that little Miss Flint, there's this like. <gasps> I love her. Oh my God. I love yes. her so much. I posted her on our page, yeah. Think about how much attention she's received compared to Greta. Through no fault of Greta's, but that's just what society is like. You've got this Scandinavian girl. European, yep. Yeah. And then little Miss Flint with her little Afro puffs. She rocks rough stuff with her Afro puffs. (laughs) And, you know, it's, it's not hard to see the disparity between the two and there was a native rapper who was young and it's like five years ago where was his time person of the year award mm-hmm. Not i don't know there. that's that's something personally that yeah. really bothers me yeah and i totally agree with that because i was just having this conversation with somebody i literally just was where it's like they fit a certain look that we consider I think it's almost thinking of like not as intimidating or more approachable for, I guess, a group of people, even though, I mean, obviously we don't think that way, but I think for white people, it's easier to hear things from someone who doesn't look so, you know, unlike them. So it's more palatable for them. Yeah, that's the word. There it is. Yeah. And it's true, but I also hate it. So Yeah, me too. And it just goes back to like what society deems beautiful, what society, like it's all rooted in that. It's just different ways that it comes out in our way of thinking now. Yeah. And unfortunately, that does kind of bleed into the government system. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I don't know what to do other than talking to your local government, mm-hmm. kind of going through that way. Because people won't listen or make ways for you unless you make the path yourself, especially if you're a person of color, because that's been proven time and time again. What is the saying? The squeaky wheel gets the oil. Yeah, exactly. Something that honestly we have to live by, which has been quite interesting for me and my family, because in Japan, there's this saying, the nail that sticks out gets hit with the hammer. So it's completely different. So it's been kind of a culture shock for my dad and me being someone who's so outspoken and so like, "Uh uh-uh, absolutely not. You can take that somewhere else. (laughs) When we had this freshman class come in of congresswomen like AOC and Ilhan Omar and like just having representatives like that, Ayanna Presley, who's my girl, Kamala Harris, like, (laughs) you know, having women, first of all, but also 
such strong women of color represent was such a I think it was so progressive and so different for people to see because in politics we think about you have to be very compromising and I think in some ways yeah there was that compromise of looking a certain way and dressing a certain way and all of that Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the more that we talk about it and the more again we talk about like as Americans in America where we're so multicultural that's exactly what should be palatable in this country looking any kind of way without it being intimidating or aggressive or unapproachable or anything like that. I hope we can work towards more of that. I hope so too. On a global level, we have an alarming amount of conservatives who've been elected to various different countries for reasons of xenophobia and just other issues that are happening in the government. I will say the U.S. has probably influenced some of it, but... Probably. I don't know. It's kind of scary, but the world is changing very quickly and some people are embracing it and some people are not. So it's hard to get this base level of cultural sensitivity sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And I know in other countries, I mean, I know we're particularly talking about America, but in other countries, it can be really hard too if it's very homogenous in population as well, Mm -hmm. because... I think sometimes we forget like other countries don't have the same racial history as us. I mean, this is going to be like a whole other topic, but um, (laughs) definitely something that I see is this hesitancy towards having the backs of Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders because back in Asia, we don't necessarily have diverse populations. So there they don't like, I mean, people talk about blackface in Asia and different things like that. Like I can speak from Japan I know that they just don't understand the history of it. And yeah, maybe they should get themselves like a nice little like American intern to be like, yeah, no, maybe maybe we should stop that. But until <laughs> then, I mean, they just don't have the same racial history as us. And they also don't necessarily hang out with other kinds of people because it's so homogenous. And a lot of times the foreigners that are, do go there are foreigners that can afford to travel there or live there or like have been given the opportunity to study abroad and different things like that. And that's not necessarily always colored people. So that's Mm -hmm. something to keep in mind. But I think it's important if we talk about a government system that's culturally sensitive, we need to have representatives that are representing just that, like different cultures, different religions, just different perspectives and mindsets. And just, again, that we're even going out of our way to make sure we have people that we can turn to that are like, hey, do you think this is okay if we do this? If co- if corporations are going to do it and benefit from it, like the government system should do that as well. And just understanding like, how can we better serve the people and not just the corporations and not just big pharma and not just, you know, whoever's going to lobby and give you money. Yeah. Maybe it's idealist of me to say that, but I, that's what I hope we can work I'm towards. right there with <laughs> yeah. you, so... All right. A world of dreamers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. The coronavirus. Oh, my goodness. And people excusing <sighs> racism and making fun of it. Y'all better stop. For real. It is not funny. I think the biggest thing in talking about this, this was something that we got a lot and th- something that I also posted about a lot on not only my personal page, but on Mixed Present as well. The targeting of any Asian person just goes back to the fact that there is this underlying sense of all Asians look alike because Mm -hmm. not every Asian person is Chinese and not every Chinese person or 
or just Asian in general, has been to the Wuhan area where the coronavirus was originated from. So the simple fact that people were making these trash memes, oh my god, did you see the one of the Disney princesses with the with the masks over their face? And then they're like, sorry Mulan, you never know. Oh god, I'm glad that I haven't seen any of these. They were really Ugh. bad. And then like the TikToks that were made and the tweets. Oh, and... those I have seen, unfortunately. Yeah, and like tweets that we've made and different things like that. Like it's just, I just don't understand like why people still excuse racism like that towards Asian Americans and like prejudice like that towards Asian Americans. They were allowed to make jokes, were allowed to make Asians feel bad, but we can't do that to other groups of people. And it's it's very, it just needs to stop. Y'all better stop. <laughs> <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. I don't know if it comes out of this whole model minority. Like, take Bloomberg. I just talked about this in my most recent episode when we were recording. Like, nobody has any sympathy when Elizabeth Warren tears into someone like Bloomberg. Or at least I didn't have any sympathy. I I don't care. (laughs) I don't care about another billionaire white man's feelings. Exactly. So I think maybe that, that racism might spur from an idea of, like, you can pick up or pick on the person who doesn't really have anything for you to pick on. Does that make sense? Yeah. The whole model minority thing, like, Asians are fine. They don't really face much racism or anything like that. Which is entirely incorrect. Right. I wonder if that has anything to do with people feeling like they're empowered or they can just have permission to make fun of Asians. Yeah, and I think the model minority myth definitely plays into that. I mean... It's basically, if for y'all who don't know, it's this thing, this horrible thing that makes it seem like Asians are a monolith. We don't have any problems. We don't have any struggles. And it's because we've kept our head down and we've stayed quiet and we've just endured throughout the trash that we've received throughout history, especially in America. And because of that, we make the most money statistically in this country. We don't have any poverty. We don't have any trouble. We're fine. We're doctors, we're lawyers, we're, you know, these high paying jobs. And this is actually entirely incorrect. And the reason why we call it the model minority myth is because it's bullshit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So y'all better stop. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, basically, you know, in taking that, which also the model minority myth is rooted in anti-blackness. It's just simply meant to keep us and blacks divided. So it's like, Mm -hmm. look at Asians, they don't complain and look at how far they've come, but then blacks, they're out here marching and they're speaking out and doing all this and look at where y'all are at. But we both just ended up in the same place. We just get put on a pedestal because people prefer that we stay quiet and we don't complain. But let me tell you, AAPI, we're getting tired of staying quiet and not complaining. A lot of us are starting to speak up because we are realizing, yes, this, is, this isn't working out for us. This isn't fair. And the simple fact that we get silenced and we don't get a voice, we saw that with, why am I blanking on his name, with Andrew Yang when he was running. He got the least yeah. amount of time to talk on stage. And again, it shows us where we as AAPI stand in this country. And I think people are really starting to notice that and be like, yeah, no, this ain't it. Yeah. And I want to take a tiny, tiny moment to kind of lift up another page. I think that's talking about this model minority myth really well. It's called Crushing the Myth. And I will try to remember to um, link that in the description. They They've got some good stuff that they're doing and I think that deserves some attention. Crushing the myth? Yeah. 
looking that up right now. I love it. Yes. Yes. Okay. Follow. <laughs> yeah, they're awesome. So if you are, you know, honestly, even if you're not Asian, it's always good to see what's happening to your brothers and sisters, you know, so we can all lift each other up. So like, I'm not Asian, but I'm following this page because a lot of what I do is try to make sure everyone feels included. So don't think that you shouldn't know this stuff too. You know what's crazy is I just followed them on Mixed Present and I just followed them now and they were already following my personal page. Shout out to y'all. Oh no. Shout out to y'all. <laughs> yes. But yeah, and I think that that's, I think it's just huge. Like if we talk about cultural sensitivity, you have to be aware of what's going on with other kinds of people if you expect people to want to be aware about what's going on with you. Yeah. And you know, I know that there's going to be groups of people within other other groups that maybe are not as open and sometimes it feels like you're in it alone. But trust me, you're definitely not. And as, as someone who has been in conversations with with people where they start yelling or saying that or perpetuating stereotypes about Asians that are untrue or they just don't want to listen and they only want to talk about themselves and because in those moments, it's hard to feel like people have your back. But trust me, they do. And the more we talk about it, and the more we talk about like, hey, you got to know other kinds of people, you got to be open to listening to other kinds of struggles, the better off we're going to be. Yeah. And we all need to support each other because our experiences are similar. So it, it only works against us to not support each other. Exactly. And at the end of the day, people of color we're all in this together. We're stronger when we're unified and we need to make sure we're supporting each other and just trying to understand what the other is going through. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about the coronavirus and we're talking about these memes and these TikToks that are being made, other people of color should have our backs and saying like, hey, this ain't right. Like, you know, not first of all, not all Asians look alike or are the same or are from the same place. Not all are Chinese. Not all have been to Wuhan. This is the time to really educate yourself on where did this virus start? How is it spreading? I mean, honestly, it's not even an airborne virus. So wearing a mask doesn't even do anything. Um, just really educating yourself on how you can prevent yourself from getting it versus like making an excuse to perpetuate racism and, you know, just target a group of people that they themselves like are losing family members. There's people who are being affected by this on, on the other side. And we just need to be just a lot more sensitive to that. Yeah, there are too many people who have died to make any kind of real jokes about it. Exactly. All right. Uh, next topic. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> white fragility in the workplace, especially white women. Now, I know, Natalie, you're very big about making sure we're conscious about how we say like white people and this and that. And you know, <laughs> I did just talk to two white women <laughs> in this week's episode. So yeah, but I also think it's important to talk about because a lot of people of color deal with the fragility and that feeling of like, I know everything that you don't like about people like me and other people of color because we literally hear about it all the time. Yeah, but we can't say anything about y'all. I for sure think that we should be allowed to say things. It's just very hard sometimes when you're trying to have an open discussion and someone's like, oh, you hurt my feelings. I'm not talking to you anymore. Like, please listen. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, Amanda Seals, you know, she's my queen. She's my God. I love her. Um, she made a very <laughs> important point in her stand up. I be knowing on HBO. She said what's happened because white women have been protected at the threat of death 
at times. It's kind of like that thing where you're not exposed to germs and stuff, so your immune system isn't up to par. Mm. It's kind of like that for women in the workplace because, I mean, honestly, you see it with white men too, but it comes out differently, like where white women can tend to be more emotional or be like, you know, go speak to a supervisor and different things like that. White men will definitely react a little bit more like they'll get louder they'll try to talk over you though it's it's a little bit different in how it comes out yeah but I think that happens to white women too like white women experience that from white men also I think just in regards to this it's really important to that we check ourselves you know because there's a duality space that exists in the workplace unfortunately like all people of color have had to learn how to do this how to police their own tone how to police their own Mm -hmm. how they speak i do have an opinion where you have to be kind of careful but that's in my position doing what i want to talk about i would never say anything about anyone else and their approach to talking about these things and just like marie and aaron said in the episode that we're talking about the onus is not on people of color to make white people less defensive or educate white people and that's something i'm learning 100 100 the onus is not on people of color to educate white people on not being defensive and also just being open to being more culturally sensitive and just understanding that you might have grown up where you don't know other kinds of people Yeah. Which is very, very common. I mean, in moving to LA, that is something I have experienced heavily. It's been quite a journey for me. But I think the biggest thing is we got to be open to other kinds of people. And there is still this thing of like, if I look a certain way and I talk a different way, I'm less palatable to you just based off of my look. And so you're immediately going to react to everything that I say, every joke I make, everything, because you're like... I don't know where I stand with this person. And to me, like, because I'm uncomfortable now, I'm going to be on edge about everything and they're going to feel my uncomfortability. So immediately I'm going to go talk to a supervisor. I'm going to talk over them. I'm going to, you know, make them seem dumb. Like, it's just, it's not the way we should be handling it. And the burden, the emotional burden should not be placed on people of color to educate white people on history that there's a whole internet out there. There's books out there. There's podcasts you can listen to. There's all different things. There's this podcast that we're talking about right now <laughs> where you can literally educate yourself and not go up to every person of color and be like, hey, what can I do for you? There's a lot that goes into it. And it's a topic I think that bears discussing, but it it's hard, especially when people of color have to deal with this stuff every day. Mm-hmm. to always be, especially if we are talking about it like we do, we deal with racism all the time. All the time. Microaggressions, hearing about incidents from our families, like if you're mixed, oh my God, we're going to get into this as well too in an episode, but if you're mixed, like racism within your own family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is white people are allowed to say everything about people of color that they don't like. But as soon as we start doing that to white people, especially white women, then it turns into this conversation of like, well, we shouldn't be bringing up people's races and we shouldn't be bringing up people's religions. And it's like, yeah, but everything about my entire existence has always centered around people bringing up my race and my entire mm-hmm. everything that I believe in and my values and why I'm not a certain way and you know, just putting blame on my family because they didn't do certain things or they just weren't smart with their money or different things like that. And that's not really the case. And for me, that comes from not knowing other kinds of people and not educating yourself 
it's not enough to just ask a person of color that question. You also have to do work on your end. And you should be seeking mm-hmm. those that knowledge out for yourself in the first place, rather than putting that burden on every person of color you encounter to be your professor and your educator and your therapist and also tell you, yeah, we appreciate you saying this. A lot of people do need validation throughout this whole process, and we shouldn't have to be the ones to give it to you. I will say, though, that if you want to financially support people, you are more than welcome to find someone who's talking about it and support them financially. Facts. Um, Support (laughs) Nat on her Patreon. (laughs) Some kind of brown. Yeah, we have fun over there. (laughs) Yeah. Plug. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. And there's so much that we could do. I mean, even if it's like you come across a page that... You're like, hey, I feel like they're doing a lot of educating for society, like a page like Mixed Present, maybe. Yeah. And you own a business and you want to give us, do some kind of giveaway and collab with us or something like that. That could be really cool. I mean, it doesn't have to be anything crazy, like $20 gift card or anything like that. And then it not only helps you with marketing, but it also shows that you're supporting the work. For sure. But <laughs> I, if, if you want to support people, there are definitely ways to find it without necessarily asking someone. And I stand by what I have said before. If you want to know what's happening in a community, follow like five people on social media in that community and you will learn more in a day than anything I can tell you. Exactly. And it's better to just see it close up. And instead of being defensive to it, and if you find yourself being defensive to it, really just check yourself and be like, hey, how come I'm feeling this way? Is it because I don't want to feel guilty? Yeah. Or is it because I'm not sitting here and really soaking it in? Or like, what is the root of this? And the more we do that, again, the more culturally sensitive and aware we can be. For sure. So speaking of representation. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Our next question is, or not really question. The next topic is lack of recognition of black music groups in specifically like merch and vintage tees, just representation within music, the music scene, correct? Yeah. I think this was, this was something that got submitted to Mixed Present. And honestly, yeah, it's something I never even thought about. But it's so interesting because black people have started pretty much every musical genre. Rock music. Yes. <laughs> you know, and like have influenced music culture and just art, the arts in general, in such a heavy way. And so many people copy them. That the simple fact that when we talk about vintage band tees, who can you normally find? The Beatles, which, you know, I give them credit, but, you know, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Yeah, like groups like that. And like, why don't we ever see more black music groups represented? I mean, I've never seen a shirt that says anything like, I mean, I feel like if there is ever anything, we see like Tupac or Biggie, sometimes Jimi Hendrix, but like, we don't see groups like... The Supremes. We don't see like the Temptations or anything like that. I mean, you can find a Backstreet Boys shirt more than you find (laughs) anything like that. So what's up with that? Probably. And even when we go back to, so like people who like jazz music or old music in particular, it drives me insane when I say I like the Postman song and it's the white version of the Postman song. And I'm like, no, listen. (laughs) That ain't it. When that song came out, it was with black people. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just going to say it. It sounds better. <laughs> so, like... <laughs> Facts. There are just certain things where it was just blatant back then, and now you just have to look at who's popular in music. 
black culture and black music has always been appropriated and then become more popular when separated by the quote-unquote messiness of blackness. So again, we say, y'all better stop. (laughs) Please. (laughs) I'm annoyed. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, I couldn't have said it any better myself. I feel like you summed that up very nicely. And I think that if anything... We should be talking about making teas that have those very earth, wind, and fire. I mean, everyone loves earth, wind, and fire. Like, just... They should. (laughs) I mean, if they know anything about music. But, yeah, like, I think that there's just so much more we could be doing that we're not doing. And if it's, like, you can see a group that... You can actually see the group, like, being put out, especially by, like, a major brand or a major store or anything like that. It makes such a difference for representation. Maybe... People feel like it doesn't, but it's just like the same argument of why I feel like more Asians need to be represented in Hollywood and all of that. It's just, we need to see people like ourselves. We need to know that there are these prominent black groups that shaped the arts and shaped music for us so that... And still are. Like If you like rap and you're not listening to a black rapper, questions. Exactly. I have questions. (laughs) Exactly. And I think it's just so important so people know like, hey... I'm seeing this people, these people that look like me, I can do it too. And that's so important if we talk about opportunities and like opening up our minds. And we just need to also be aware that there's a lot of stereotypes that have played into groups. And a lot of that thinking has melded into people's mindsets. And they literally just think, I can't do anything else but this. Mm-hmm. This is all that's out there for me. And I think we need to stop that way of thinking because we're severely missing out on originality and some serious swag because of that. For sure. Yeah. I think that one's pretty cut and dry. <laughs> yeah, honestly, <laughs> yeah. We don't like Representation, it. Representation, now like please. It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. People of color. Oh, here we go. This was something we just talked about. But people of color are allowed to publicly be disliked, commented on, made to feel uncomfortable. And you can't do that to white people. Well... <laughs> I feel like this is also very cut and dry. I mean, I think, again, yeah. it's what we talked about with the white fragility in the workplace. It's just, you know, we hear all the time what you don't like that we do. Yeah. And I want to say, I know that I have talked to some of you who got upset that I called Meghan Markle a black woman, but she is a black woman. as Like, I'm a black woman and you can be mixed and be talking as a black woman. So that being said... All you have to do is look at those side-by-sides between Meghan Markle and Kate. 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 (laughs) What is it? Middleton? Uh, Yes. Thank you. Kate Middleton. The white one. The white one. (laughs) Oh, gosh. So, Kate Middleton. Honestly, I didn't start caring about the royal family until Meghan Markle. So, like... Honestly, like, the same. Every person of color is like, oh, yeah, sure. And then we saw how she was treated. So, like... Just as an example of what people have to go through and what it's like, look that up. Also, I lived in New Orleans after Katrina, but look at the side-by-sides of people who are trying to get supplies and how the news covered them. Mm -hmm. It is legal. It is legal to forage for supplies in an emergency situation. You can go to a store that you can get into, grab what you need, like water, food, and that is legal. But black people and people of color were labeled as looters Mm -hmm. and all sorts of derogatory comments. It's, you don't have to look very far to see 
how people are portrayed in the public and it's gross. I mean, and to go back to the royal family really quickly, if you look at how differently the British tabloids treated Kate Middleton and how differently they treated Meghan Markle, it's to the point where she literally, her and Harry, are no longer part of the royal family. And I think that that's something that we should be taking away from this. Yeah, I don't understand how people are comfortable making those kinds of statements. But also, like I said, you don't have to look far to find racism. Exactly. And honestly, it's unfortunately, I think if we're going to talk about cultural awareness and sensitivity, we have to start calling out this behavior and this bias to make people of color feel like they're allowed to not say anything. Honestly, as a woman who is a mixed person of color, if I hear another white person tell me we shouldn't be bringing up race in the workplace, I'm like, first of all, everything y'all be saying, some of the stuff people say at my job are not like, well, that's problematic. But because (laughs) they don't mean it that way, I'm making them feel uncomfortable because I'm calling them out on it. And suddenly it's like, oh, well, we shouldn't be saying anything about rule. And I'm just like, that's... Or, of course, I wasn't meaning it that way. I wasn't being racist. That's nice, but y'all better stop. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. I just, I have no sympathy. I have, you know me, I have no sympathy. If anyone has heard me on this podcast, I don't care. Uh, just educate yourself before stuff comes along. That's just, <laughs> we ask one thing. Yes, exactly. Yes. One thing I'm always like, if you want to go toe for toe, we can do that right now. But just know, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but anyway so next topic strangers asking where are you from oh that question that question that we always get asking where you are from at the wrong time and politely saying mind your business slash a good response to shut them down um so this is something that we i got on my page and i think it's a very Good thing to talk about with you, Nat, because I feel like you would have a good response to shut it down where it's like more politely minded because I tend to just Uh. (laughs) I tend to be like, uh, I moved here from Boston. No, but like, (laughs) where are you from? Like, literally, I do this with people and I see them get so frustrated and then it's like, no, your lineage. And I'm like, oh, you mean where are my parents from? I'm like, my dad's from Japan and my mom's from America. Okay, but what are you like? What are you? And I'm like, you mean my ethnicity? What are we talking about here? To be honest, I troll too. <laughs> like, if you're going to make me uncomfortable, I will do everything in my power to make sure you are also uncomfortable. Just because I want people to realize when you are doing that to me, asking me where I'm from, that you are making me uncomfortable and you are being invasive. So the only way I feel like to get that point across is to turn it around and be like, here. You mean, you, you mean my house? Like, <laughs> my house is like six blocks that way. Yeah, and also like white people don't ever get asked that question. And it's just an everyday reminder that people of color are not quote unquote considered American. And, you know, okay, for those of you who don't want to troll, which is totally fine, is you shouldn't troll in the workplace. Honestly, my response would be something like, you know, I'm... I might be glad, or I know you noticed this X about me, but this is not really an appropriate thing to ask someone you're not familiar with, and certainly not in the workplace. And if they don't listen to you, just be like, again, I'm trying to be polite with you. This is not appropriate, and it makes me uncomfortable. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes I'm just like, 
do you mean what my I'll just be straight up and I'll just be like do you mean my ethnicity and they're like yeah and I'm like okay can you I would prefer you ask me what is your ethnicity as opposed to where are you from because it implies that I'm not from this country because I'm not white or I am yeah. white, but I'm mixed. So society doesn't deem it, you know, this whole thing. We should have talked about this too, but basically like society's <laughs> not going to recognize me as a white woman anyway. Yeah. And you know, that response is good for those days where you feel like educating someone, but just, just know you are fully within your rights to not answer that question. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think See, the kind of person that I am, I am not afraid to be the educator, and I don't necessarily always consider it an emotional burden to have to educate people and train them on their bias and their microaggressions, but at the same time, that's me. That's not every person of color. Yeah, I mean, not everyone's out here trying to do what we're doing and talk about race 24-7. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, our levels of tolerance might be a little different. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But... Nonetheless, I feel like we gave a couple good responses. Do you feel like there? what about for somebody who just is really like not having a good day and they're like, I got to shut this down, but I don't need Stacy over here emailing HR on me because you know she will. Uh, honestly, I would say the same response. Like, I'm very uncomfortable with this question. I know you're curious, but this makes me very uncomfortable. Can we not talk about this? I feel like you should be able to say that in the workplace. And I want to say I, can ima I can't imagine someone going further than that, but that would be a lie. It would be a very, very, very big lie. Just tell them, like, that is very inappropriate. I'm not comfortable with this topic or discussing this topic with you. If they say why, you're just not comfortable and you would appreciate it if they stop. I mean, you can't do anything if they keep saying, like, well, I just want to know what you are, blah, 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 blah. I don't want to tell your ass. So y'all better stop. <laughs> I don't think that would go over well in the workplace. <laughs> yeah, they'd be like, Sophie's out here being abrasive again. Yeah, that's the word they like to use, abrasive. <laughs> I don't know. Just I don't mean to say that you have to treat people with, with uh, kid skin gloves. Just try to be as polite and cool-headed because even if someone isn't going to be cool-headed to us, this goes back to not being allowed to publicly emote or say that you're uncomfortable. The minute you come out of that and you display that anger, people are going to treat you some type of way. If you're okay with that, go ahead. But if you're in a workplace, try to stay as calm as possible and repeat it. I don't, I'm not comfortable with this line of topic. I don't feel close enough to disclose that. Or even just to be like, I don't have to legally disclose those things and you're going against HIPAA. So... Facts. In the U.S., race is a protected class. So if someone's really not listening to you, be like, listen, race is a protected class. I don't think you really want to go down this line because if we talk to HR, you're not going to like the outcome. Bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> Nicely said. Okay. Ooh, the last topic we have on here. White people not wanting to be generalized as a monolith, a.k.a. being referred to as white people. <laughs> We we did kind of touch on this, but I do want to say white people is kind of unique to this area, just like black people is. In America, you have a v kind of unique circumstance where a lot of white people don't know their backgrounds, where their people came from, how they came to this country, whatever. And it's not, and that is not the experience of people of color, mostly. Outside of America, you have people who identify 
as their nationality, Irish, Scottish, whatever. So white, just like black, can be a group of all people who are of Caucasian descent. But I really feel like white people is unique to the U.S. Yeah, I agree with that, to be honest with you. And yeah, I think partially it's unique to the U.S. only because, again, like other countries tend to be more homogenous or they just speak another language so they don't refer to it as white people like the way we say it. Yeah, like I'm Irish, I'm I'm whatever. Yeah, but I think, you know, the fact that people are uncomfortable with it, like us referring to a group of white people as white people, how is that considered like an uncomfortable racist thing, but you're allowed to be like, oh, those Asians over there. It's it's literally Yeah. It's literally the same thing. It's just there's this additional I guess, nuance placed on white people because we tend to be like, yo, white people out here doing this, you know? As people of color, we have those conversations and I think it's well known that we have those conversations. But the simple fact that they don't want to be generalized as a monolith, well, you generalize every other group as a monolith. Maybe not you, but it is something that has been perpetuated by society and I don't know if you necessarily do anything to make sure you're conscious that you're not doing it as well. And, you know, honestly, it's a response. The fact that people of color have these conversations about white people is a response to trauma, both generational trauma and personal trauma. So I that's another reason why I'll never fault anyone for saying white people are X, because it is, again, just directly linked to trauma. So... Mm-hmm. If a white person doesn't want to be generalized and you want to teach them or just to say something like white people is not connected to trauma the same way that any other ethnic group is connected to trauma by their label. <gasps> and- say it again, girl. Say it again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's not like when has being white brought you trauma? It might bring you discomfort, but you weren't killed. You weren't hunted. You weren't slaves. You do not tag me in comments saying that indentured servitude was a thing. I'm not going to listen to you. You will probably get your comment deleted. <laughs> but but you weren't indentured servants by people of color. Exactly. How is that what an trauma argument? Is, this, is associated with this label. So I get that it might be uncomfortable to have white privilege and other topics like that be put in front of you. But, but again, that's just a fact of life. <laughs> and again, we say y'all better stop. And, and yes. I think, again, what you said, I mean, you hit it really on the head. Like I'm over here, like dancing around like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> we live for it. But basically, it's just exactly what you said. It's not connected to to trauma. Like there's no there's been no legislation passed that oppresses white people ever, mm-hmm. ever. If we want to get into the history of legislation that's been passed against people of color, though. We'll be here all day. Exactly. So the simple fact that white people don't want to be generalized as a monolith, it is entirely because of the fact that they just are uncomfortable. Exactly like what you said. Because of, I think it's this feeling of like feeling excluded from the conversation sometimes. Because I know people who would maybe fake certain things about themselves. So they feel more a part of the conversation. Like, oh, yeah, my family doesn't have money either. You know, I've had those conversations with people, especially when it comes to scholarships, because they're like, uh, I come from a poor family as well. But the difference between a black person who comes from poverty or a Vietnamese person or anything like that is trauma and actual barriers to success. So for people of color, mostly black people, you have redlining where 
Yep. You're not allowed to move into certain neighborhoods. And that happened so long that we have these areas that we call, quote unquote, the ghetto. And honestly, people can't get out of there because they don't have the money. They have generational disparity in wealth that they're not even starting at the same playing field. So a white person who's poor is more likely to get disability, food stamps, anything like that. And if you come at me, I will give you statistical proof of who is consuming or reaping the benefits of food stamps. Exactly. And I think another big thing to point out is, you know, exactly what you said is entirely correct. And just as there is generational wealth, there is also generational poverty and generational trauma. Mm -hmm. If your parents are not educated on finance, who is going to teach you how to know anything about money? Who's going to teach you anything about credit cards or debt or taking out loans or anything like that? Or putting money into your 401k, which <laughs> you should do. Uh, yeah, for sure. You know what? And my father, I give him all the credit because he really struggled when he first came to this country and had to learn so much. And he's gone out of his way to make sure that he's... I mean, every day I get these long text messages from him about make sure you're doing this or make sure you look into doing an IRA or make sure you do this and make sure you do that. And <laughs> hey, the stock market's doing a certain way right now. And my father has gone out of his way to hold on. <laughs> my goodness. Gotta love those LA sirens. But he's really gone out of his way to make sure that his children are financially stable and know about money and are financially literate because it's so important. But generational poverty exists and a lot of people got to where they are because they have generational wealth and transformative assets. And a lot of people don't want to consider that. If your parents paid for your college, look, you got a transformative asset. Yeah. If you want to move to another neighborhood, you have kids and you want their, your kids to go to a private school and you ask your parents for money, that's transformative assets. That's generational wealth. And so that stuff I don't even know about because when I was, uh, you know, you get to that age in high school, you start having to think about college. My entire high school career starting actually in eighth grade, my parents said, if you want to go to college, you have to get a full ride because we have nothing for you. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of poverty I grew up in. Like people gave us groceries when I was growing up. So like if I didn't do well in school, that meant I have no possibility for upward mobility because I couldn't go to college. Mm -hmm. So many people of color, that's their story, unfortunately. You know, having to work 10 times as hard to get the same opportunity because you don't have the same resources. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, looping all of this back to white people not wanting to be generalized as a monolith. Yes, I'm sure there's white people who go through stuff like this. But statistically speaking... The majority of people who go through stuff like this and the majority of people who need financial help and gateways to opportunities are people of color because of the history of discrimination and systemic oppression in this country. Mm -hmm. I know that's a lot in response to a question about white people not wanting to be generalized, but that's just the problem when we talk about race. It's not cut and dry. It's always going to be nuanced. And you have to be willing to make yourself uncomfortable to really talk about the facts and how people have different advantages, just really weigh all of the information. And not many people who are uncomfortable with this generalization are willing to make themselves even further uncomfortable by talking about these things. Mm -hmm. It's it's very difficult, especially when you're talking to someone who's not ready, to talk about these things because until you're ready, you just won't hear it. 
Exactly. And at the same time, like, yes, you shouldn't be out here flaunting certain things. I think that there should be an element of coof in your existence. But (laughs) I also feel like if you have generational wealth and transformative assets, that doesn't make you a bad person. But I think you also need to be woke and acknowledge the fact that you got some help. You have a resource that gives you more opportunities. And generally people who have this resource and who for to have access to these opportunities tend to be white people. You know, I think all of this loops back to the concept of white fragility because yeah, people just don't want to be told that they have had some help. And honestly, to quote my girl Ilhan Umar, I know <laughs> she's going through some things right now, but... To quote my girl, she said what she was appalled by, she said this in Congress, people who have experienced poverty, who have gotten the straps for their bootstraps, who sit and say, we shouldn't do anything for the next person. That applies to people who have not lived in poverty as well, too. And, you know, I just got a book recommendation that I will pass along in this episode. It is called, it's called White Fragility, (laughs) aptly. (laughs) White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism by Robin D'Angelo. And I'll try to remember to link that as well. From what I've been told, it covers these things really well and kind of gives insight to people who are white and people who are not and just want to understand Mm -hmm. or know how to better deal with people who are white when they ask these kinds of things. But again, the pressure is not on a person of color. It's on the white person to educate themselves. And so there are resources out there that go beyond asking your closest personal color. Exactly. And again, be conscious of the fact that the emotional burden should not be on people of color to educate everybody else. Not all of us want to be professors. Not all of us want to be speaking about this all the time because we live it every day. Yeah. Sometimes we just need a break. Well, neither of us got a break today. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I feel like it was a really good convo. Me too. This conversation was good and... We've got three more episodes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so come back next week for more Soph. Where can we find you, Soph, in the meantime? So my personal page is Asian underscore Soph, Asian Soph at your service. Always out here trying to be an educator. <laughs> I do not mind being the professor, but just know if you want to go toe for toe, you better come ready. <laughs> I also work on a page called Mixed Present, spelled exactly how you spell mixed and present. Mm -hmm. And basically there's a group of us on that page where we talk about different topics. We do features. We talk about different political things. Like we kind of talk about a whole different spectrum of stuff, but um, everyone on there is a person who is mixed, which is really exciting. And we all are different mixes, which is also exciting. Yeah. So you get those different perspectives. Exactly. And just, it's, I think it's important to be able to touch on every race We really feel like it's important to talk about a multitude of things and really serve as an educational point for the community. Yeah, and check out those features too, because if you're looking for more community, you can find it on Mixed Present. You can find all sorts of people that you can click with. Uh, Obviously, the Brownish family over here, we're trying (laughs) to build our family up. So Brownish. That's our that's our family name. <laughs> There's a logo coming oh, soon. Oh, <laughs> I feel that spiritually. I love that. Um, and then also, I'm uh, starting another page. It's already on there. It's called Mix Made. That is going to be a brand that I want to see come to life. More about my particular points of views and just kind of... I tend to be a little bit more of, I guess, I'm referred to as like the radical 
controversial poster on our page. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. And sometimes we talk about, like, balancing a good balance between, like, you know, political stuff and mixed stuff and, like, also pictures and, like, pretty things and all of that. And, yeah, I want to definitely continue that. But I definitely want it to be a lot of my voice and my point of view and just, like, talking to different kinds of people in a different way and just representing multiracial people and I really want it to be a hub that I can kind of grow myself so mixed made mixed underscore made check it out give us a follow I appreciate it yeah I'm excited for that really to grow because sometimes we need to have those super deep conversations and I don't want to see another polished picture (laughs) thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Some Kind of Brown, and I would love to interact with you over, especially on Instagram. You can also join us on Patreon for ad-free episodes, after-interview debriefs before the episode comes out, stickers, t-shirts, and more. Another great way to support the podcast is to subscribe wherever you're listening and leaving a rating and review on iTunes or Podchaser to help our brownish family grow. You can find the links to everything and more in the show notes through the link tree on my social media bios. All of your support is what keeps this podcast going. Thank you to purpleplanet.com for the use of their song Love Life, and I'll see you later with some more Shades of Brown. love true crime, history, and mysterious happenings? Every week on The Cult of Domesticity, a guest and I discuss a different historical happening, a true crime story, or whatever strikes our fancy. Join me, Courtney, every Thursday to hear some fascinating tales from some fascinating people wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs>